everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. My name is Jonathan. I'm so glad that you're here today. Okay, uh, put you on the spot. Did, did anybody read from Ephesians this week? Good for you. Christine, do you not own a Bible? Can I get you a Bible? Is that... <laughs> Sorry. I... So... Yeah, okay. Okay, reading other things other than the Holy holy bible okay no so look i use you as an example so that for next week i bet you there's a hundred hands is going to go up um have you noticed i'm going to talk fast today so you're gonna have to listen fast because glenn hunt said you're not going to end on time and i'm just going to prove him wrong today okay have you noticed since time and eternity whenever there's two groups of people uh two tribes that that get together often there's going to be a wall that is built between them. Like if, if you go to Northern Ireland, there's going to be, you'll see these huge concrete walls with chain link and barbed wire and, and it divides the Catholics and the Protestants, whole sections of the city because of this history of violence. And uh, South Africa, to this day, you're going to see many... Uh, black communities that have enormous walls around them, and then these more affluent communities that have sort of gated communities with with, uh, people with guns and surrounded by high walls and barbed wire and armed guards. But I've never seen anything like it quite like when I went to Israel. And when you enter in Jerusalem, you realize there's literally walls everywhere. There's... there's, uh, a Muslim quarter, and there's the Christian quarter, and there's the Jewish quarter, and the Armenian quarter, and it's all sort of, you've got checkpoints, you've got um, these dividing walls that, that are protected by people with guns, and unless you have permission, you can't go in certain areas, even pass from uh, section to section within Jerusalem. Bethlehem, you're seeing some clips from the beginning, which is in the Palestinian territory, was amazing. I mean, you're looking at miles of enormous sort of suicide bomber walls that you, you can't even drive a car through. Um, uh, terrorist attacks happen on both sides. These huge walls are covered by chain link and security cameras. And it's quite unnerving to, to be talked to by somebody with like a automatic weapon and military personnel and turrets and all of that. In fact, we were on a bus with a Jewish um, uh, tour guide, and uh, we we're about to go into Bethlehem, and he got under the seat and, and hid. And I thought, what are you doing? He says, well, technically, I'm not even allowed to be in here. And so it's, a, it's very interesting to be with all these walls and divisions. And I think what's interesting is that these physical Barriers often illustrate spiritual realities, okay? When, when we see barriers between people, sometimes they represent 
spiritual barriers as well. And so as we look today at Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, that's the chunk of scripture we're going to study today, uh, we look at the issue of I am reconciled, okay? You're, you're going to hear this from the Apostle Paul. He'll say, a dividing wall of hostility, dividing wall of hostility. Often, it's quite literally a physical wall, but most certainly, uh, he's talking about a spiritual wall of hostility, and it divides, you know? You've got to remember, in that day, uh, the time of Paul, the holiest place on earth uh, where the presence of God was, um, it's called the Holy of Holies in the temple, right? And the holiest people were given the closest access to God. So let's say the Holy of Holies is here. Well, the, the chief priests would be somewhere here, and then the other religious leaders would be somewhere here, and then, you know, the Jewish men would be somewhere here, and then way over here would be the Jewish women, and then somewhere, you know, over by the trampoline place would be Gentile believers, way over there. They're in the place called the court of the Gentiles. They're the proverbial back of the bus, and you're probably not going to worship the real God, right? And if you do, just just stay over there by the trampoline place, you know, behind the walls and the boonies there, and, and try not to get too close, because if you get too close, we'll kill you, actually. It's a death sentence. So there was a literal wall and walls, but there's this spiritual wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I told you previously, you know, in this series, don't make identity idols. You know what tends to happen when we do that? What you idolize, you'll demonize. In other words, if you idolize your race, what will you do? You'll demonize other races. If you idolize your, your culture, you'll demonize other cultures. If you, if you idolize your nation, you'll demonize other nations. If you idolize your political party, you'll demonize other political parties. What, when we idolize, we're finding our identity in our tribe, and then we declare war on other tribes. You notice how that happens? And that's identity idolatry, and that's surely partly what's going on here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's really what's behind racism and classism and sexism and the like. So the first thing the Apostle Paul wants us to know is that Jew and Gentile are reconciled in Christ. And here's how he says it in Ephesians 2, 11 to 15. Don't forget that you Gentiles, okay, that's, that's us, the non-Jewish people, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. We'll get to all of this. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one 
and has destroyed the barrier. The what? Say it with me now. The dividing wall of hostility. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So what he's saying is that there's this conflict, there's this animosity between two people groups, the Jewish people called the circumcision and those who are Gentile called the uncircumcised. And this actually may have been a bit of a slang term, a bit of a pejorative term. You know, when one group doesn't like another group, we tend to nickname them something. Sociologists say that uh, we give nicknames to people that we hate and people that we love. And so we, we, this was probably a nickname, you uncircumcised heathens. So in that day, there were some Jewish people saying, uh, we're the circumcised, you're the uncircumcised. And, and this was a way of sort of belittling, a kind of a demarcation between the two groups. Well, as is often the case, anytime you see a cultural or racial conflict, you and I can be a bit naive and, you know, we can show up sort of late to the scene and go, why, you know, why don't you all just get along? Well, all of a sudden they start telling their story and they start telling their story and you're like, ooh, this is actually a long history, right? And so here we'll trace this conflict all the way back to a, to a man named Abraham. You may have heard of him, one of the most important men in the history of the world, and all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And what we find is that there is a long-standing conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And in some ways, this is really just an extended family feud going on for 6,000 years. Uh, like, here's the sitch. Abraham had two wives. And just so you know, that's, that's one too many, okay? Um, the result was that he had two sons, two baby mamas, two sons, lots of drama. And so you got to think, which, well, which son is going to be considered the firstborn and get the inheritance and the, the, the namesake and the blessing that's promised to the descendants of Abraham? And so you have two women, two sons, massive conflict. And to this day, this conflict between Muslims, Christians, Jews is in large part the result of a, of a family feud. Uh, Christians and, and Jewish people say, you know, we read the Bible and go, well, Abraham, the real wife of Sarah, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's, you know, that's the lineage, that's the promise of God. But then there's those who are Muslims who come along and say, no, no, it's Hagar, not Sarah, and it's Ishmael, not Isaac, and it's... Um, we're the descendants of Abraham, and we inherit the promise, and Abraham is our father. That's the legitimate side of the family. And so this debate and this hostility is very deep and has a very long history. Well, the result was that Abraham circumcised himself and his household, and he began circumcising his descendants as an outward sign of an inward covenant with God that ultimately would be fulfilled one day by the circumcision of the heart when the, when the Holy Spirit came in the new covenant. So just let's talk first about the Gentiles. They are called in this section the uncircumcised 
heathens, right? So they're over here, right? And, you know, we live over here. Uh, um, they're alienated, so we call them aliens. We treat them like aliens. Um, we don't know them, and if we did, we probably wouldn't like them. That's how that goes. So there's no way, it seems, for these two groups to, to reconcile. And their hostility is deep. And it says here that they were without hope. Um, in fact, it says the Gentiles are people who lived in a world without God. They have their own religions, their own traditions. Uh, it's demonic, by the way. Oh, and you know who that is? That's us. We're the Gentiles. Uh, any of you who are not Jewish, that's our heritage. We're the godless pagans. So let's say there's two little boys playing together outside. One's Jewish, one's Gentile. They're actually not supposed to be playing together. But let's say the Gentile boy asks the Jewish boy, hey, are, are we Gentiles represented in your, in your holy book? And he'd probably feel very encouraged, this little Jewish boy, to even um, have him ask that question. He'd go, oh, yeah, for sure. You guys are in our book. Um, oh, we made the book. Yeah, you guys are in there. You, you guys are the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Philistines. Um, you heard of Nebuchadnezzar? That's your guy. Hey, you know the story of David and Goliath? Uh, David's our guy. Goliath is your guy, right? Um, all the bad guys, those are your guys. All the enemies of God, those are your guys. If this were a Western, uh, we'd wear the white hats. You guys would wear the black hats, okay? So, you, yeah, you're in our book. Ooh. Well, that's the way some Jewish leaders thought of it. In fact, uh, some Jewish leaders would say back in the day that the only reason God made Gentiles was he wanted kindling for hell. Ooh, a little intense. So hostility is a good word here. The hostility was so deep that if a Jewish man or woman came across a Gentile woman who was struggling to give birth, they, they were told not to assist her because they'd be helping bringing in another Gentile into this world, which we don't need. So let's say even a Jewish person fell in love with a Gentile person and they got married. You know what would happen? A funeral would be held for that Jewish person who married the Gentile because they'd be dead to that family. I'm not even kidding. And we know this sort of thing actually happens today. I know of Muslims who have become Christians and are now dead to their family, pictures burned, written out of the lineage, uh, photos taken out of the album, dead. So this is a deep conflict, and this is how the Gentiles were regarded to the Jews. And so perhaps understandably, the Jews have a bit of pride, a bit of haughtiness about all of this. Well, God chose one man, our father Abraham, right? And all the prophets came from our family. And all the priests and the kings come from our family. And this book is primarily about our family. And, and God says that we're the apple of his eye. And that he's our father. And, and, and we're like his children. And we're the chosen ones. And we're good people. And, and if you'd like to join our religion, you know, you just have to become Jewish. You need to learn our language. All your men need to just have a little procedure done. Um, 
You need to change your diet, you know, no more Baconators and Red Lobster, right? You need to celebrate our holidays and, you know, those pagan things that you used to do, even if they were just cultural, you got to stop doing those just because even if you do, um, because you're not of our bloodline, uh, even if you become Jewish, you're still going to be considered sort of a second-class citizen because you're just a convert. You're not pure. Now, this is interesting. If you read the scriptures, there's no reason that God's people should have been prideful or haughty and proud. Oh, you, oh, Abraham, you mean that guy who committed adultery and polygamy and lied and, and gave his wife away twice, that guy? Um, it's not like he has this amazing resume of sinlessness. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean, these guys commit adultery and incest and polygamy and I mean, there's some serious issues in this family line. And you keep reading, and God sends prophets to his people, and they say, repent, you're in sin. It's wicked, I'm tired of it. And often they don't repent. And often they end up murdering those prophets. And, and then on occasion, God has to send them all into exile. He uproots them from the land that he promised them. And they're taken captive somewhere else as punishment. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, the Gentiles are sinners and the Jews are holy. Not at all. If they are holy, it's because God has set them apart and loved and forgiven them. But it's not because they're any better. Uh, And if you trace it back far enough, you may not know this, but but buckle your seatbelts. Abraham was a pagan Gentile. That's how he started until God saved him. That's how we all start, until God saves us. You know, in one of the most important lines of the Bible, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith through trusting in the grace of God. And so the Jewish people should have known we all descend from Gentile pagans. And God saves by grace through faith. That's how he did it with Abraham. You know, I wonder, I wonder how many of us have a little bit of pride because we come from a religious family, a moral family, a significant family. Yeah, my parents, they're, they're the kind of people who are really honored in our community. My, my grandparents planted this church, or my grandfather was a war hero, or, you know, I come from good stock, uh, we give back, we serve, we're known and respected. Man, the truth is, if we all trace our family line back enough, and if we're honest enough um, about our history, we've got lots to be embarrassed about. Like, Like, if I did what Abraham did, I would be your former pastor, right? I'd like you to uh, introduce uh, my wife, Vicki, and this is my uh, other wife, uh, Susan. Like, you'd be like, don't let the door hit you on the way out, okay? Um, so let's just be honest enough to look at our life and the, lo- and, and the life of our family and our lineage. Um, sometimes when we're religious, it's amazing how we close our eyes to our own sin, but we open our eyes to other people's sin. So there's the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. There's the Jews who are circumcised. 
And the thought is, okay, so we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. They just need to join us if they want to be with God. And Paul says it's hostility. It's a dividing wall of hostility. Well, then Jesus comes. Jesus was a Jewish man, perfect, um, and he said he was God. And so interestingly, the one thing that the Jews and Gentiles agreed on is we need to kill this guy. You know, Jews and Gentiles tended not to work together that well, but they, they did in the murder of Jesus, interestingly. So they together participated in his murder, and Jesus dies on the cross. He rises from death, beats the grave. He ascends back into heaven. And you have to remember his first disciples are Jewish. The first converts are Jewish. And the early church is largely Jewish. But as things start to spread, particularly in the time of Paul, Gentiles start getting excited about Jesus. And large numbers are converting to Christianity. And they love Jesus. And their sins are forgiven. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it it raises these questions among the church like, so what do we do with all these Gentiles who are coming? And the Jewish people were simply saying, well, just, just tell them to be Jewish. Tell all the guys to get circumcised. And the Gentile guys are like, could we get a second opinion? Because if there's another option, we vote for it unanimously. <laughs> um, so once again, it comes down to this issue of identity. Is your Jewishness your primary identity? Is your Gentileness your primary identity? And what Paul says is something that had never been said before, and it's really interesting. Uh, Really, it's the Holy Spirit through Paul who says it, and he provides an answer that you'll only find in Christianity. He uses this language, which is so cool. One new man in the place of two. One new man in the place of two. You see the conflict? The Gentiles are like, look, I was born a Gentile. I'm going to die a Gentile. It's who I am. And the Jewish people are like, no, no, no. You need to be Jewish. And Paul comes along and says, no, you all need to be in Christ. In Christ. A new group. A new definition entirely. So their identity is no longer uncircumcised Gentile or circumcised Jew. Their identity is in Christ. That's my new identity, reconciled together as a new man. There's this, there's this new people called the church. You know, it's kind of like a wedding where a bride and a groom comes together. He doesn't join her family. She doesn't join his family. Together, the two shall become one. And sure, they make, uh, there's aspects of his family And there's aspects of her family that they incorporate, but they become a new family, a totally new family. It's kind of like that with Jesus. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled together in Christ. They become one, and they start a new family. I just think that's so cool. And so Paul uses language like this, that together they are brought near. See, if, if Jesus is in the center and the Gentiles come to Jesus, and the Jews come to Jesus, they are what? They're brought near to not only Jesus, but to each other. They're brought near because they are in Christ. And what that means is there are, there's no front of the bus. There's no 
back of the bus. There's no first or second class Christianity. God's a father who loves all his kids, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, NDP, even Bloc Quebecois. It's true. <laughs> and he loves all his kids equally, and he places the Holy Spirit in each of them, and they all have equal access to dad. It's just so beautiful. It's not like a family where, you know, dad lives on the main floor, and all his favorite kids live around him, and then out in the back, there's another house with the other kids that sometimes he sees. It's not like that. So listen, old things may explain us, but they no longer define us in Christ. So perhaps your previous primary, primary, primary identity was I'm Canadian or um, this is my race or this is my gender or this is my culture or this is my family or this is my history or this is my vocation, this is my tradition. That may explain you, but it no longer defines you. What your primary identity is is in Christ, in Christ, which means your primary allegiance is to those who are in Christ. And you notice people, Christians, have a tendency to turn our preferences into prejudices. You notice that? Like, we continually create dividing walls of hostility when we say or imply, you know, if you want to be with us, then you need to be like us. And, and so we build some sort of spiritual, if not physical, walls of division. Ooh, those people speak in tongues? Ooh, those people speak in tongues um, not enough? <laughs> uh, th- ooh, those people sing all hymns? Ooh, those people sing all Bethel? Like, uh, it, you, you're somehow not spiritual enough if you're in one of these camps? And then God says, no, like, I want... It's all my kids, and, and I want my kids to have my heart for the whole family, Jew and Gentile, uh, reconciled together in Christ, Protestant and Catholic, reconciled together in Christ. I was talking to a family a couple weeks ago who came from uh, a Chinese church where there's three services, English, Cantonese, Mandarin, and you'd think, like, well, that's, they're all Chinese, right? Turns out those three subsets of a subset could be quite divisive. We just, that's the human nature, right? We create divisions and walls of hostility. Now, here's what's really mind-blowing. You and God are now reconciled through Christ. You look at the history and the complexity and the acrimony between Jew and Gentile, you say, That's pretty amazing that there can be reconciliation between the two. Well, here's what's even more amazing. God in Christ reconciles the sinner and God. You think about the difference between us and God, you know? Creator, created, holy, sinner, infinite, finite. Um, We've sinned against God, and the result is that there's a natural hostility between us and God. And you may say, well, I don't, feel, I don't feel that way. No, it's because you're not the victim. It's always the offended party 
who should feel the offense. The offender doesn't seem to think it's a problem, but the offended knows it is, right? In our relationship with God, he's the offended party. We've sinned against him. This is right from Psalm 51. Against you and and you only, Lord, have I sinned. Friends, you're a sinner. (laughs) I'm a sinner. Uh, We're sinners by nature and by choice. We've We've rebelled against God. How is this relationship going to be reconciled? We can't save ourselves. We keep trying to live perfectly, and we keep screwing that up. So what does God do? Well, Ephesians 2, 16 to 18 goes on to say, together as one body, Christ, and here's our word again, reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. Some translations say he preached to those who were far off. That's us. And peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. There's the whole Trinity working together. It's beautiful. See, God, because of our sin, knows that there's this wall of hostility between us and him. Okay, it's a wall that I've built. It's a wall that you've built. It's a wall of rebellion, of sin, of selfishness. And so God lives in heaven. We live down here. He lives where there is no sin. We live where there is constant sin. He lives where there's no death. We live where there is death. And we have built a wall spiritually separating us from God. And so God comes as Jesus Christ. God becomes man. The creator enters creation. He goes from being worshiped to being hated. He goes from eternal riches to a life of poverty, a life of hostility. Jesus is God coming over a wall of hostility that we've created. It's God coming to seek and save the lost, to serve us, to love us. It's a rescue mission, and it's beautiful. So Jesus takes upon himself all of our sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. And it, and it says that he kills the hostility by dying in our place. So if your faith is in Christ this morning, um, if he died in your place, which he did, God no longer has hostility towards you. He has peace with you. That's exactly what he says. Through Jesus, there's no dividing wall of hostility. And now the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in his children. There's no barrier The spiritual barrier of sin has been removed, and now God dwells with us, and God dwells in us. So functionally and practically, it means for those of us who are in Christ, that's now our primary identity, not our cultural affinity. We are reconciled in Christ. Just turn to somebody and say, hi, I'm reconciled. You do that? It's like right here. Yeah. Yeah. Here's how it says it in in Ephesians, the last part of our verses here. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. That's, That's your community. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple 
for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So um, they would come as close as they could as human beings without dying to the holy of holies, to the presence of God. And what they would do is they would offer sacrifices and confess their sins and animals would die and blood would be shed. This is the old temple way. And all of this is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's all foreshadowing Jesus, the temple is. And, you know, we are here. He is there. There's a dividing wall between us and God. But then Jesus comes. He scales that wall. He comes to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, it's, it's why I'm not going to encourage us all to hop on a plane and, and go to a place called the Holy Land. Um, if you want to go, fine. It's awesome. You'll enjoy it. I loved it. Um, but I don't necessarily refer to it as the Holy Land. Jesus was there, but today it's just land. And holy is wherever the Holy Spirit is. So we no longer go to a holy place, but a holy God comes to us. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, he comes to meet with his people. That's good news. And so if the Ephesian church is thinking, do we need to go to the temple? Paul says, you are the temple. What is Paul talking about? It's a temple not built by human hands. And he says that you are the stones that are building this holy temple. And the cornerstone is Jesus, right? That means everything rises and falls with Jesus. When you lay the foundation of a building, the most important thing is to lay the cornerstone correctly. If you lay it incorrectly, whatever you built is going to eventually crumble. You know why religions fail? You know why psychology fails? You know why moralism fails? You know why businesses fail? You know why people fail? Because their cornerstone isn't Jesus. It's only a matter of time before it all starts to crumble. So it all starts with Jesus. It all rises and falls with Jesus. So at Knack, we are just unapologetically all about Jesus. So we talk about Jesus and how he relates to your marriage. We talk about Jesus and how he relates to your parenting and your kids. We talk about Jesus and how he relates to your singleness. Um, we talk about Jesus and how he relates to your suffering. And we don't talk about anything unless we're talking firstly about Jesus. Amen? And then he says God is building the church and he uses this physical imagery to teach a spiritual rea reality. If you've ever looked at a, at a big brick building and you're like, that's amazing how it all stacks up and holds together. Well, New Market Alliance, we're the bricks. Uh, we're the bricks and God stacks us together. And let's just say it, Knack, there's some weird bricks out there. Am I right? Um, have you noticed? I mean, what? walk into a church, walk into our church, and look around, and you're like, hmm, what, what do y'all have in common? They're a diverse group. Well, Jesus is what we have in common. And so when we come together, we become like a temple. It doesn't matter if we meet in a school or a gym or a theater or out in a field. 
um, because the people are the church. See, it used to be that only the holiest man on the holiest day of the year would even be able to step a big toe into the very presence of God. But even that dividing wall of hostility was torn from top to bottom, a curtain that separated the presence of God. And then Jesus comes, and that temple curtain was torn, and the Spirit of God was unleashed on on the world, everywhere, for all people. Apart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, I'm going to invite the band to come, but apart even from the Bible saying that all of us ultimately come from one man and one woman, it says that you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Jesus loves you. Um, the Father adopts you. He reconciles us together. There are no children half in the family and half out. Um, No children half in the inheritance and half out. God's not a father who treats his kids like that, and we ought not to be people who treat each other like that. If, If there's anybody that you are prejudiced against, any group, if there's anybody that you are not reconciled to and that they say that they're a Christian, man, we need to get reconciled to them. Because we are reconciled in Christ. And I would just, I would beg you to seek reconciliation. And even if they don't reciprocate, don't have a funeral in your heart for them and consider them dead to you. Um, if you're at this church and you say, uh, man, I'm from a different culture, different racial, ethnic background. I love this church, but I feel like I kind of stick out I don't know if this is the best place for me. Could I just say, we might just need you more than you need us. Um, You might be a real gift to our leadership. Uh, You could help us learn and grow. We have some diversity, and by by God's grace, I, I hope we have more. Because Jesus has reconciled all of us. And and frankly, we need to learn from you. Sometimes we make decisions that are um, from a very white perspective. And you need to help us make this a place where together we we can all be God's family. Amen? Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to teach the Bible here at NAC to the people that I love. Um... I thank you for this great temple that is being built not out, of, not out of concrete, but out of stones of flesh, one life being laid upon the other. And God, I thank you that in Christ we can be reconciled to you, that in Christ we can be reconciled to each other. And God, the tribes may change, um, it used to be Jew and Gentile. Now it's black and white and young and old and rich and poor and conservative and progressive. Father, the categories change, but the issues remain the same. And so we ask you, Lord Jesus, to fill us individually and collectively with the Holy Spirit and to together come to the fullness of understanding of what this amazing reconciliation is. In Christ's good name, amen.